You are listening to Intrepid Healthcare. Shining a light on the innovators, the doctors, the medical professionals, and all those instigating change and influencing both healthcare policy and technology. We bring you the latest healthcare news impacting the providers, the payers, and the patients. And now, here's your host, Todd Schnick. Good morning and welcome back to Intrepid Healthcare. I am your host, Todd Schnick. Thank you for joining us this morning. I came across a rather disturbing article in the BMJ, formerly known as the British Medical Journal, that concludes that medical error is third biggest cause of death in the United States behind heart disease and cancer. Now, this is quite disturbing, quite mind-blowing. And I wanted today to invite a guest to join us uh, to the show to, to comment on this, to explain how it is we got to this point, and most importantly, what can we do to start turning the tide and solving this problem? So I'm joined today by Dr. A.L. Efrat, CEO and co-founder of MedCPU. Dr. Efrat, welcome to the show. Good morning, Todd. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, the pleasure was mine. Thank you for carving out some time to join us. Uh, appreciate your time. This is a very important conversation. I appreciate uh, you stopping by. Before we get to this important conversation, however, take a few quick seconds. Tell us about you, your background, and then give us a, a high-level view of MedCPU. What do you do? How do you serve your market? Sure. I've been in healthcare IT for about 21 years now. Prior to this I practiced high-risk pregnancy, so I'm a maternal fetal medicine in my clinical background. And prior to this, when I was really a child, I, I, I was in the aviation industry, actually. So I kind of moved from aviation to becoming a physician. But about 21 years ago, I decided to, to quit my clinical career and devote my life to bring the aviation experience and, and how safe aviation is to healthcare, to the point of care so that we are addressing things that are not being addressed appropriately and there's so much suffering and misery that can be so uh, so significantly be prevented. It's such important work. How does MedCPU uh, combat this and, and join that battle? 21 years ago, I had kind of founded and, and led for about 15 years a company in the real-time decision support in healthcare in the OB space, being an obstetrician in my background. And then about uh, five and a half years ago, I founded uh, kind of my chapter B in life. I founded MedCPU, which is kind of the, the next generation, the, the, the next uh, evolvement of real-time decision support to kind of bring upon all this huge experience that, that I've gained over the years in terms of how, how to work and how to uh, assist clinicians at the point of care to, to, uh, to provide better care. So MedCPU has been uh, for about, five and a half years now, and we have um, implemented kind of this new technology about uh, almost three years ago. We currently have about 60 or 65 hospitals using this technology. So we've kind of gained experience. I'll be very happy to share with you how it works. Outstanding. Well, appreciate the important work that you're doing. So back to this BMJ article, the, again, formerly of the British Medical Journal, medical error is the third biggest cause of death in the United States. I mean, I, I said it earlier, it blows my mind. What was your immediate thought when you saw that? I mean, how have we gotten to this point? How is that still possible today? Well, yes, it blows the mind, it blows the heart. And I completely agree with you. This is completely unacceptable. The numbers are known to me of 
you know, there were numbers published um, more than 10 years ago or 11 years ago. This BMJ article talks actually about 200, over 250 deaths per year in the United States because of preventable medical errors. And that's awful. 250,000 people, it's 700 patients a day dying for medical errors. And if, if you look at this kind of a, a, a anecdotal comparison, it's almost two jumbo jets crashes every day. It's a 9-11 event almost every four and a half days. So think about the magnitude of, of those events happening. And just thinking about these are all mortalities, deaths. What about all those patients that, that are not dying but have major morbidities and injuries and suffering for the rest of their lives? This is very, very bad. This is very difficult. And these are all preventable medical errors. You know, I'm comparing this to aviation. Every day, there are over 100,000 flights around the world. You know, in 2013, 3 billion people flew in um, more than 36 million flights in 2013. And you know how many people die out of aviation accidents? 210 across the world. So 700 people die in the United States, the best country in the world, every day for medical errors, while from aviation, only 210 people die across the world over a year period of time. So why can't we have the same quality, the same safety that we have in aviation in healthcare? That's what we've been doing. That's what we're pursuing over and over for the many, many years. And I can tell you that the biggest question is why there is a gap like this. And one of the major reasons why, if I can share with you my experience over the time. Please do. Is that computers serve a major, a major role in the safety in aviation today. You know, the computer system in a cockpit is so accurate. The pilot relies on the computer system almost 100%, and it's so safe, and you know, all the prompts by the, the computer and the computer in the cockpit are, are so accurate. The air traffic control is so accurate. But if you look at healthcare, the physicians in the point of care do not get almost any assistance by computers. So all this delivery of care at the point of care is done almost 100% based on human interaction, human decision, and obviously exposing all, all the deficiencies of the human being, being stressed and fatigued and multitasked. And there's no appropriate computer real-time control on the quality of care at the point of care. And that's one of the major reasons why we have such a major gap, unacceptable gap, in terms of quality in healthcare. Well, I think about what you just said in that over, and correct me if I get the statistics wrong, but 210 on average deaths a year through aviation. Did I get that correct? That's correct. And 700 deaths a day just in the United States due to medical error. It's intolerable and, and it's unacceptable. The good news is, as you said, these are things that are preventable. And we're going to talk about some of the strategies and how we can combat that. I mean, but this article from the BNJ did say, look, human error is inevitable. Although we, and although we cannot eliminate human error, we can better measure the problem and design safer systems that mitigate the frequency, visibility, and consequences of this. I mean, it, this is a problem we can solve, right? It is a problem. The human error is inevitable, but human error, the pilot error is inevitable as well, but the use of computers at the cockpit 
prevents those errors, overcomes this deficiency. And the thing to be able to do and to dramatically change this major number of mistakes in healthcare is through effective introduction of advanced computer systems at the point of care that will be able to change that trend and to be able to save lives and to assist physicians to save lives, things that they don't do today. And that's the major effort done today in healthcare across the world, how to bring computers that are so effective in other industries to healthcare, which is probably the last industry in the world that benefits from the advanced computer systems that exist in other industries. Healthcare is the last industry in the world that really assures quality at the point of care. Well, that's a conversation for another day as to how we've let that happen. You know, I hear you talk about this in the context of the safety of computers and aviation, and why can't we do something similar in the, in the healthcare space? I always liken it to, we live in a world where we can put a man on the moon, but yet we have 700 people die a day in the United States due to air. I mean, it's just, it's, uh, it's unfathomable to me. My, my biggest concern is, is that these numbers are so big, it's hard to get your head wrapped around it. We don't actually under, fully understand the severity of the problem. So obviously, there are many things we could do to begin to tackle this problem. Certainly one of those is clinical decision support and clinical decision solutions, which is obviously the, some of the important work that MedCPU does. So what is actually required of a clinical decision solution to begin to combat the re- and, and reduce these errors? Absolutely. You know, computer can do much better job than the human mind in multitasking extensive processing in in a fast manner, much better than the physician mind. So why can computer do and and really assist the physician to make the right decisions in the point of care? And you know what? One of the major, I would say, even prosaic reasons why today is that in order for the computer to do a good job in assisting clinicians like it does in assisting pilots, is that computer needs to see the complete clinical picture for the computer to be able to analyze everything in an accurate manner and to understand if there is a deviation in quality delivered to the patient. So if computers could see the clinical picture in an accurate and comprehensive manner, they would be able to really step in and assist and provide the power of quality and safety that is currently so much required in healthcare. So why computers do not do this today in healthcare? And the reason for this, I don't know if you'll be surprised or not around this, the reason, the primary reason is that there is no quality data in healthcare. The problem today is that we, the clinical staff, the physicians, the way that we communicate the clinical picture is mainly through narrative communication. We talk about what the patient have. We document in the medical chart what the plan of care is, what was the history. There's a lot of narrative, non-structured communication of data. In the United States, about 70, 70% of the information in healthcare resides in non-retrievable, not processable information that is written in free text, dictations, follow-up notes, short summaries, something that a computer cannot analyze. So if 70% of the information in healthcare is not or cannot be used by computers, Computers cannot really assert assisting effort to be able to really change that paradigm of not controlling the quality in in the point of care. If technology would be, and it is becoming effective in being able to read everything about the patient, including the 70% 
that is not used today because it's in free text, free form communication and dictations. If computers will be able to read that free text and to be able to see the complete clinical picture, then the revolution starts. Then the computer can become much more efficient like it does in the cockpit at the point of, of flying to be able to really understand what's happening with a patient in many instances, even better than the physician, because the computer is not tired, the computer could do much faster processing, as long as the computer sees the complete picture. Once the computer will see the complete picture, it will become much faster and much more accurate in understanding what the patient has and understanding what the next step in caring for this patient should be. So once we resolve this technology barrier and enable the computer to really see the complete picture, computers will be able to become a much more efficient assistant in a point of care to the clinical staff in providing much better, much higher quality delivery of care and significantly reduce those medical errors that we're seeing today. So speak more in depth on this idea that we have no quality data. I thought we were getting very good at collecting data. I wasn't sure we were doing enough actionable, meaningful actions as a result of collecting good data. So go deeper on that and explain some other technological challenges that, that we're facing as we're trying to overcome these problems and, and these inaccurate CDSs. Well, I would say that, you know, that there's been a, a pretty tremendous effort by the government to push into healthcare the use of electronic medical records. And this is something that has been going for quite a while. The problem is, though, that electronic medical records are expecting the physicians to document the clinical information in structured manner, meaning in checkboxes and pull-down menus into the EMR. And that is very difficult because in many cases, in the vast majority of cases, it's not enough to really describe the clinical picture through checkboxes and pull-down menus. And what happens is that the physicians becoming pretty frustrated uh, of the EMR because it doesn't really allow it to tell the real story and the accurate story about what the patient has. So eventually the physician either decides and opts to kind of document in free text, and then again, the computer cannot understand that information. So maybe they document this, but this is not available data that computers can really analyze and use at the point of care as decision support. Or the physicians just, you know, checkbox and pull down menus and checkboxes and so forth and just proceed forward because it kind of slows them down. And that quick entry into checkboxes and pull-down menus really distorts the data. So the moment that the physicians would be able to really use the EMRs in a fast, accurate manner, which is mainly through really telling the story, dictating, documenting in free text note what really the patient has. And the computers will be able to read in a very accurate manner what the physician actually says then the computer will be able to see what exactly the patient has. And by being able to read the huge amount of data in the history, you know, how many pages of, of discharge summaries exist on those patients, the physician doesn't have any time in the world to really read everything when the patient arrives and you have five or seven minutes to deal with the patient. But a computer can do this. And if the computer will be able to read everything from the history until the present time, and to be able to see the complete picture much better than the physician, because the physician doesn't have the time, the capacity as a human mind to really uh, capture everything, then the computer will be able to see in a much more accurate manner what happens with the patient. And through content of best practices that would drive the computer analysis of what's happening with the patient, representing the best of the best practices that exist today, the computer will be able to monitor continuously how the physician 
makes decision. And if it will identify a particular deficiency or deviation in providing care to the patient, we'll be able at the point of care in real time to pop up on the screen and tell the physician, please consider doing something different. Please consider changing the approach to the patient so that each patient would have the appropriate privilege to get the best care and not to be dependent on kind of the human deficiencies, the lack of the best opportunity to get the best care from the physician. So once we solve this data in healthcare, computers will be able to become a really major component of delivering or assisting the delivery of best care to the patient in the point of care. Because there's two components to this that make this work, right? If, if we're going to try to reduce the, the rate of medical error, in my view, really two things have to happen. There has to be accurate information. It's one thing to have accurate information, but if you don't have it in real time, right. it's useless, right? So, I mean, that's the key, right? You have to have accurate information, but it has to be presented to you in real time in the moment because an ER is moving at a, <laughs> an amazingly fast pace. And as you said, the human mind is just not capable sometimes of moving at that pace. So I just try to get my head around. It seems to me that technology today should certainly enable that. And it's exciting because I think we can, we can certainly get there, right? Yes, I think that technology today, and that's really recent, reached the point that it really provides exactly what you said, Todd. One is to be able to collect and acquire the data in real time from wherever the data res- exists about this patient, and data exists in multiple and multitude of places, in the med- electronic medical record, in ancillary sources, lab results, radiology results, um, historical information. Technology just recently reached a point where at the point of care, it can collect and acquire the data in real time and see everything. So that's one component that exists today. And the second component that technology just recently reached a point of being able to do is to able to read in a very accurate manner all this huge amount of free text that exists about the patient that holds about 70% of the information. So just recently, that's the good news around everything that we're talking about, you know, those 700 patients dying every day from medical, preventable medical errors, is that the technology today with those major innovations that are able to collect the data in real time and to read through the data from the history until the present time and to read all this narrative information that, that, that contains 70% of the information that until now was not available to the computer. With these two major advancements in healthcare today, computers can and will, in a short period of time, be able to become a very reliable, highly accurate assistant to the physician at the point of care so the physicians would be able to make decisions, make diagnosis about the patient with a, a real companion, the computer to be able to do this without, you know, working the computer, but a computer to do this for the physician to kind of monitor what the patient is doing and pop up and reach the, the physician at the point of care and suggest things that the physician might not be thinking about in order to really allow the best care for each one of the patient's in this country, in the world. Give me an example how it would work. So uh, let me give you a scenario. Let's say a patient comes into the ER and they have suffered a stroke. There is a typical protocol, I suspect, on what you would naturally think to do first for a stroke victim, but there may be a history that you don't, that you aren't aware of that can lead to a fatal decision. How would this work here? You know, if a patient arrives with ischemic stroke, the number one thing that you need to consider doing very quickly is infuse the patient with a medication called TPA, which will dissolve 
the clot in the brain and save the patient's life. That's something that you have to do within three hours from the moment that the symptoms started. So when I see a patient in the ER, within three hours from the uh, commencement of the, of the symptoms, that's the first thing that you have to do as a, as, as a physician. Immediately start infusing TPA to this patient to save the patient's life. I don't know at that point, during the point of care, what's the history of this patient. There's so much information. You don't know. But if the computer knows this, and in this particular case, the computer knows that three years ago, someone wrote in a document, you know, somewhere else, that the patient has a brain aneurysm. Now, giving the patient TPA, if the patient has a brain aneurysm, may kill the patient. So you wanted to save the patient's life, but you ended up killing the patient because he did not take into consideration the fact that the patient has a brain aneurysm. But the computer... If the computer sees and knows this information and the computer was able to read the discharge summary by a neurologist from three years ago, it will be able to recognize that when I'm currently ordering TPA for this patient with a full intention to save lives, it will pop up on the screen immediately and will tell you, please don't give TPA because the patient has a history of a brain aneurysm that you probably did not uh, see in, in, because you probably have, don't have the capacity to see everything. But please don't. So at the point of ordering TPA, it will pop up on the screen and will let you know, don't. This is a contraindicated decision and risk the patient greatly and take another decision, but not this. So at that point, because the computer technology is able to see better than I do as a physician at the point of care and know all those guidelines, the most recent guidelines, sometimes better than I do because, because, you know, it needs to know everything and not all of us know everything all the time. It will be able to become effective at the point of care, prevent critical errors, prevent deadly mistakes from happening because it sees better. It sees the history, it knows how to compile and to connect all the dots together. The physician at the point of care in this busy ER will probably not be able to do. Boy, boy, when you hear that story that you just presented, you can understand how this medical error rate is so high. I mean, the intentions are good and they're following the typical protocol. There's just information that they don't have and then they can't make the right decision. Amazing to me how a computer in that example you just presented, how that changes everything. And that's a, it's, it's actually very exciting that this kind of solution is available and, and I suspect is going to become much, much more prevalent and reduce this error rate. The, you mentioned that in that case, that example you provided that an alert pops up and it gives you the information about that aneurysm. What's the difference between an alert or a reminder versus like a checklist? I mean, I, I, there's probably some different ways this information could be, uh, be, be presented to you. Yeah, you're, you're right. I mean, the most important thing is how do you make the assistance to the physician reliable and useful to the physician? To the physician? It's very important to make it as accurate and as effective as possible. Because if you start presenting prompts that the physician may know or the physician is about to do, then you're kind of reducing the reliability of the prompt. So the difference between alert and a reminder and a checklist is that we, based on our experience, really prefer alert. It's like, again, the pilot in the cockpit. You know that you need to lower the gears at a certain level before landing. You don't want to be reminded at 10,000 feet because that would reduce the likelihood of your sensitivity to the computer assistance. You want to be alert if you passed the red line and you haven't done this. So, so the way that we've learned is that you would like to present an alert, which is the point of making a decision, not educating the physician something that the physician might know, because it will reduce 
the sensitivity of the physician for such assistance, for, that, for such prompts. So just keep it as alert at the very last moment. Just giving the, the physician the opportunity to do what the physician knows how to do. But if we identify a particular mistake at that point prompt and make sure that those prompts are very reliable so the physician will become uh, quite appreciative to what's been presented and therefore you get the full attention, the full compliance of the physician to the prompts at the point of care. And I suspect at some point they're going to get accustomed to looking for those prompts when they're about to make a decision. It becomes almost habitual to say, all right, I'm following the typical protocol, but this is at the point where there may be an alert that I may need to make a different decision. And they get used to that, right? They get accustomed to looking for that, right? Well, yeah, I think that based on our experience, it's, it's interesting that you're saying this. At some points, they sometimes uh, asking us, why don't I get an alert? Is, is something wrong with the system? Right. The kind of want to feel that it is working in the background. It is watching them kind of as a safety net that watches them. So yes, you're right. I mean, once they recognize there's a very accurate system that looks behind their shoulders and kind of watches that, that everything will be done appropriately, it gives them a safety, uh, I would say, feeling around the fact that, you know, they're not alone. Something else is looking Something else is connecting the dots and making their work and their confidence level of what to do a much higher, more confident level. So what's possible long-term and in the future? I mean, assuming a successful implementation of a clinical decision solution, you shared some very frightening numbers earlier. I mean, do you see those improving dramatically if we can improve care delivery, quality, and efficiency? I do, Todd. I think that I can't uh, prophesize in terms of are we going to reduce the 700 a day to uh, 70 or less, but I think that those numbers can and will dramatically go down. I think the technology today has reached the tipping point where computers can really start acting like they do in aviation. As we started, I mean, the safety in aviation is there. They can do this in healthcare. They're starting to do this in healthcare. And I think that the good news, and I am certainly confident, then within the next several years, we'll start seeing major, major change in the error rate that we're seeing currently in healthcare. Now, that is a very exciting future. And um, I appreciate you joining us to uh, help me get my head around this idea that medical error is the third biggest cause of death in the U.S. And now I have some hope and optimism that there's there's a technology available to help us uh, begin to turn that around. Dr. Efrat, before I let you go, should anyone have any questions on this subject and want to contact you, how can they do that? And where can they learn more about MedCPU? Well, they can access our website, which is medcpu.com. And can definitely post questions there. We'll be very happy to answer and share our experience, how to address this, this critical, I would say, sacred mission. Oh, I would agree with you 100%. All right, Dr. Eyal Efrat, the CEO and co-founder of MedCPU. Dr. Efrat, a real pleasure to have you. Thanks for stopping by. Thank you, Todd. Thank you for the opportunity. Uh, the pleasure was mine. Again, thanks for your time. All right. That is all the time we have for today. Again, on behalf of my guest, Dr. Alal Efrat, I am Todd Schnick. We'll see you soon on Intrepid Healthcare. <laughs>